Certainly it's good to be here tonight and to have the invitation to be here. I was rather surprised when Tony called me and asked me to come and to be a part of the VBS here. Uh, but I gladly accepted the challenge that he presented to me. Uh, one correction on the thing that was said about us, uh, six years in, in Zambia, it was 16 years. Uh, but nonetheless, for, he got the 45 or the 53 years altogether corrected. That's all that really counts. Uh, certainly, my wife and I are both glad to be here. And tonight, my uh, lesson is to be upon the, the destruction of Jerusalem in, in Matthew chapter 24, especially. But also, we find this mentioned in Mark chapter 13 and in Luke chapter 21. It's an account that has probably caused more headaches and problems in the religious world than just about any other uh, subject that you could think of except maybe baptism. <laughs> baptism be right along with it as far as the difficulties go. Matthew 24 is right in the middle of Jesus' teachings about Jerusalem and he had just gone into the city. And in order to understand it properly, you've got to go back to actually chapter 21. And as you follow through on chapter 21, you will see how that the thing that Jesus is leading up to and going to say about Jerusalem uh, is dealing with the matter of the Pharisees as they are so hypocritical in what they were doing. And they certainly had brought great distress upon this city, and there had been a time in which there was very big difficulties for it. Now, the context as we look at it, we see that Jesus is entering into the city on his triumphal entry. Uh, a great event took place as that took place. Some of the people were very happy to see him coming in, and others were very unhappy about his coming into this particular city. The beginning of the chain of events, however, was one that continued right on until Jesus did a lot of his teaching and so forth in, in this city. And of course, he did the teaching in the temple, which many of them did not like. But as we see that he presented three parables there, and these parables all had a upon the destruction that was about to come to Jerusalem. And we see that there was the parable of the two sons showing the matter of the tax collectors and the prostitutes were even greater people than the Pharisees and the scribes were who they thought that were very great among themselves. And then there was the parable of the vineyard. The parable of the vineyard as he presented it shows the Jewish history of rejoicing that the prophets of God had sent to them and that what they had done to them. And it was a prediction that they would kill God's son. And then there was the third parable that was presented, which was the parable of the marriage feast. And that was showing the people there's a time that is coming in which people were not going to be prepared and a time coming in which some people were going to be prepared. And so that makes the 
setting for Jesus to show them what's actually going to take place with the city of Jerusalem. Now, as with chapter 23 goes on, as we follow those in chapters 21 and 22, in chapter 23, it's a very strong rebuke that Jesus gives to the Pharisees. And he oftentimes calls them hypocrites. And on occasion or two, he even calls them a brood of vipers, uh, showing his dislike for what they were doing. And then finally, he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how he cries and yearns for Jerusalem because he realizes what's going to take you place eventually, and he says, I'd like to take you under my wings as a hen does her chicks. And those of us who have grown on the farm or been around chickens know how that all takes place. Uh, I grew up on a small farm, and oftentimes you'd see how that the hen, she gets her chicks and she gets them under her wing, and she will protect them. She'll give her life for the protection of her chicks. But You know, when it comes time to go to sleep at night, she has taken care of her chicks because they're right there under her wings. And that's the way Jesus was feeling about Jerusalem. It was a sad event that was about to come to take place. But as all of this is presented, did you notice in this 24th chapter, and we're not going to read it because our time will not, not allocate that as I want to... Uh, present the things, but I'd rather present the things, and you can read uh, the chapter itself, and I know you've done that many times in your life. But chapter 25, or in chapter 23, actually, there's a verse here that I want us to pay special attention to, and it's verse 36. And Jesus is saying here, Surely I say to you, all these things will come to pass upon this generation. All these things. Now when he says all these things, he's he's referring to the things that he is about to reveal to them. It's not things that have actually happened yet, but he said, I'm going to reveal these things to you, and then all these things are going to happen during this generation. And when he talks about the generation there, uh, he's not talking about it like some people are doing the world today. They talk about the generation and want to refer to Jesus establishing his kingdom in Jerusalem for a thousand years and he's going to sit up on the throne there and so forth. And when it says this generation, they think that it's talking about the generation that we have now. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here. When he says this generation, he's talking about the generation that he was talking to at that particular time. And it definitely, the word generation is an interesting word because it has to do with a particular period of time. Now Jesus is speaking here pretty close to the end of his ministry. And he is referring to an event that is to happen some years in advance, some 30, 40 years down the road, basically 40 years, we'll say. Well, that's what a generation represented back then. Today, we don't put that many years onto a generation. 
but they did back then. And it had a reference to the fact that a generation was the, the age of a group of people that was living at a particular time. And so Jesus is saying, this generation, this group of people that are living here now, you are going to see, some of you, not all of them would, but you're going to see these events take place at Jerusalem. And so it's not a something referring to way down the future of another period of time, but during the particular time in which Jesus is actually making the statement, statement himself. So as we think of these things and see the, the leading into the statements that Jesus is going to make about Jerusalem, we must realize that as the context leads to this, we then find that these things are said in the beginning of the chapter of, of chapter 24, and I would just read a few verses. So if you have your Bibles, you want to follow along with it, we'll read just a little bit here, but we're not going to read a great deal. And later on, we will jump around to different parts of it. All right, and then Jesus went out and departed from the temple. And his disciples came up to show him the building of the temple. And Jesus said, Do you not see all these things? And surely I say to you, Not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Now, there were two basic questions that they had asked there. There's three in a sense, but two of them are connected. The first one is, tell us when will these things be? In other words, Jesus has told them that one stone is not going to be upon another. And then they wanted to know when that was going to be. Then they wanted to know what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age. Now, they were putting that in two different categories. But Jesus answers it in one. The sign of his coming, the time of his coming, and the end of the age is going to be at the same time. There's not going to be two different times. And so there's only two questions here that he is primarily trying to deal with. And as he deals with these questions that they have presented out there, he makes it very clear to them. Now, as any topic in study in the Bible, we, many of you know, and I'm sure most of you, if not all of you know, that one of the most important things that you've got to remember in studying the Bible is the context. What is it that's said before it? And what is it that is said after it? And so we have to look at the context in which Jesus is talking here. Jesus' disciples pointed out to him the magnificent temple, and it was a magnificent building. It was a building that had been taken many years to build. It was something in which to be proud of. You know, we oftentimes are that way about a building or something, aren't we? 
you, you take a congregation and they put up a new building, uh, they like to show the building off. I've gone to places and they've just completed a building and the first thing they want to do is to take me to every room and to every classroom and every office and every the libraries and everything else and show me everything that is in that with that building. That's good. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. And it was with Jesus' disciples here. They came to him and said, you see all of these great buildings that even surround the temple itself. Well, the temple was the greatest of all of these buildings. There were none other that could even compare to it. And then Jesus turns to them and says, yep, but not one stone is going to be left upon another. The time is coming that that will not, that they will not be upon top of each other. This had to be a startling statement to the disciples because Jerusalem and the temple was the center of their religion. And it was the heart of everything. People came from all over the world to come there to worship at times. And it probably was this event probably took shortly after they had observed one of the Passovers. And so as Jesus is laid at this, getting them ready for this, telling them that surely not one stone shall be left upon another and that they would all be thrown down had to be a startling statement. But that's then when they came to him with the question. When's this going to be? See, he was over on Mount Olives. Mount Olives, and you go down the valley, and you go across on the other side, and you can sit over there on the Mount of Olives, and you can look back over there at Jerusalem and the temple, sitting there on top of the hill. And all of it is a very beautiful sight to be had. And, of course, the Mount of Olives was a typical place for Jesus to go. He loved to go there. He'd go there often and do his praying. And we find that that is what uh, he was over there, what particular occasion, whether he's meditating or not, I don't know. But he was there alone, and then the disciples came to him and asked him, uh, give us some explanation as to what's going on here. We'd like to understand more thoroughly about what you are trying to tell us. And so, what shall be these things, and what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? And so the Lord answered these two questions. The emphasis is put, if you will look in chapter 24 there, and you look at verse 35, the Lord answers the two questions. And in verse 35, he gives the one, well, from 4 through 35, he points out the, the events that's going to actually take place. And so later the disciples were able to learn all of this. As he gave them the answers, the Lord gave, the, gave an answer to all of it. But it was something that they did not fully understand. Now, what are the signs of Matthew chapter 24 that were fulfilled in the destruction of Jerusalem? First of all, there would be false Christ that would come says in verse 5. There were going to be those who would come and claim to be Christ. Now remember, 
Jesus is making this statement while he is still alive somewhere around 30, 31 A.D. He is talking about an event that is going to take place in 70 A.D. And so he says that between this time and when it actually happens, there's other men who are going to come by who are going to claim to be the Christ and claim to be prophets of God. And so he is warning these people, you must look out for them. Now he is talking about the events that's going to happen to these people who are really the Pharisees that are not with Jesus and against what he stands for. Then he points out that he says not only that, but that there would be the wars and the rumors of wars. This is something that is interesting because as Christ was making the statement, the time of the, this was during the time of the Roman Empire, but we find that the conditions, things were quiet throughout the Roman Empire. Now we're talking around 30, 33 A.D., somewhere in that area. But what Jesus is talking about here, he is saying now that before the destruction of Jerusalem takes place, there's going to be wars and there's going to be rumors of wars. All right, here you've got a time of peace. But these rumors of wars are something that's going to happen in the very near future. The time came. And that just before the destruction of Jerusalem took place, and when I say just before, I'm referring to the first few years before the destruction took place, wars broke out everywhere. And in fact, the Roman army went about all of the area around Jerusalem and was taking and conquering the the different cities that were there and taking hold of them. And then they were going to get ready to march on Jerusalem itself as one as its prime target to reach. But these wars were going or did happen to go on before this destruction took place. Jesus prophesied that that very thing would take place. And so those wars, we find, was something that happened very often. In fact, in a five-year period, there were four emperors in the Roman Empire that were killed and replaced by somebody else because there was so much violence and upheaval in the Roman Empire. And so the thousands of Jews uh, who were living in some of the other cities were taken and they were murdered. For example, in Alexandria and some of the Caesarea and some of the other surrounding cities in this area, the Jews especially were taken and they were murdered. They were all killed. But all of this is happening before Jerusalem is actually brought to its knees. He says that there would be famines, there were pestilence, and that there were very earthquakes would come. This all happened then too. And it doesn't take a uh, rocket scientist to understand that. You turn to the 11th chapter of the book of Acts, and you read verses 28 and 29, you find that there was a, a prophet of God, Ag- Agabus, who said that the famine was going to come, and it did come, and it lasted, and it's been all over the land. 
And then it came to the point where they had to gather food to try to take to Jerusalem for the poor saints that are there. And that's why Paul was writing in 1 Corinthians 16 for them to give so that they could help these poor saints down in Jerusalem because of the poor conditions that had happened, the famines, the earthquakes, and so forth. Now, pestilence? Well, why does he mention the pestilence? Once you have things like a famine or something like that, you oftentimes following right behind that, you will have the pestilence will take place. When it comes to the matter of earthquakes, I said that this was a time in which earthquakes in that part of the world were greater than they had ever been before. The earth was rumbling and trembling all of the time. You see, modern-day man is trying to say, well, the earthquakes and all of the volcanoes erupting and so forth is a sign that Jesus is coming again. But Jesus is talking about the destruction of Jerusalem here. And the earthquakes were things that were taking place then. They continue to take place now, and they'll continue until the end of, of time. It's not a matter of just something that is the sign that Jesus is coming. It was to be a sign then of what was going to take place in the destruction of Jerusalem. But we could say a lot about earthquakes and so forth, but there's, uh, time is not going to permit us to do that. All right, then there was a matter of a general persecution would come upon God's people. The Jews were going to turn against those who were Christians. And of course, the, early, the earliest of Christians were Jews, but later on the Gentiles became Christians. And the Lord is trying to give the Christians a warning about what's going to take place that you're going to see that the city is going to be destroyed. And so as this comes about, you will, must realize and keep your eyes open because what's going to happen is, is the city is going to be surrounded. Well, that's exactly what the Roman army did. Vespasian was the general who first went into that area about 67 A.D., to go and to march on to Jerusalem because it was going to be their last thing that they were going to do. But as he was about to get ready to do that, the emperor died. And so he stopped what he was doing and did not march on it yet. And so he then became the emperor, actually, and the marching on Jerusalem then was turned over to his right-hand man, Titus. And then the, he was to march on Jerusalem. It says that they were to, the city was to be surrounded. And exactly that's what happened. Not only with men in the army of the Roman army, but the city was surrounded because they took and they dug a ditch to build a wall, a nine-mile wall they built around the city, and they did it in three days. So that they, the reason they did it, so that they could keep the people contained within it. Now, Jesus says, when you see these things taking place, get out. <laughs> get out of the city. 
Don't stick around. Because things, things are going to happen and you get caught in there, it's going to be very bad. Well, when the Christians saw that happening, they had listened to what Jesus had said and they fled out of the city and into the hills. The Roman army then came in and started to take care of the people. And it's sad to read about some of the things in which happened. They were going from house to house in order to slaughter the people. They were killing everybody and everything. But they had gone to a house and they had already found dead people. Because they had died because of the famine that had been in the country. And because of this great famine, and they were dying, they told them that this was a great, great event taking place. And they found all of these dead people going into a house and they'd find the whole family dead. But they'd come out into the streets and as soon as they came out into the streets and they find people alive, they would start slaughtering them. And it said that so much slaughtering took place that they the blood from the people that were slain in this particular encounter on the city by the Roman army, that the blood was actually flowing down the streets of Jerusalem. Flowing down the streets. And in many of the cases, they were having to walk on top of dead people in order to continue to siege the city. And they even went and they demolished the temple. But they totally annihilated all of the people that were in the city. But it is said that not one Christian died in this event. Eusebius, the historian, is the one who has said that. Why? Because Jesus had warned them, get out of the city when you see it is surrounded, and flee to the hills. Don't go to your house and get any of your goods. If you're on top of the roof, get down and head for the hills, and pray to God that it won't be in the winter time, or that a woman won't be in the time in which the baby is sucking and so forth, but get out. And that's what they did. They got out of the city. It was a great event. And then why would he say that? Why would he tell them, don't go back to your cities? Well, one reason is that on the Sabbath, the gates to the city, and he is telling them, don't you pray that this won't happen on the Sabbath. But make sure the, that this Sabbath is the time that you're not there. They traveled, and they went to their ways, and the city fell. When he says that one stone should not be upon another, it is said that one of the men had a plow. I don't know exactly what the plow looked like and how they did it, but he took the plow and he dug up everything that was there 
and literally not one stone remained upon another. Just as Jesus had said would be the case. This is a sad event in the time of the Jewish people, but it was a time in 70 AD in which Judaism was finally eradicated. The tribes were dispersed throughout the world and all of the records as to what tribe somebody belonged to or something were lost in all of this taking place. So when it was all over with, nobody could know what for sure what tribe he was from, what status he might have had within the Jewish community and so forth. And that's why today you do not find that the Jews can tell you what tribe they are from. All they can tell you, they're a Jew. But they cannot tell you which tribe that they had come from. Because all of that was done away with. God made sure that he was going to eradicate Judaism in that particular way. And so it did not continue. As he did these various things, we find that Jesus' disciples had were people who were following in the footsteps that he had done. But it's interesting that Jesus had warned them also that they were to take the gospel to the whole world that they would be taken before kings and before those in high places of authority, and that they would stand trial and many of them would lose their life because of it. And as these events took place in the life of Christ and in the life of these people as they preached the gospel to all the world, we read Colossians chapter 1 and verse 23. Paul points out that the gospel had gone to the whole known world at that time. And it is said, and I, I just very briefly want to hit this and then we're going to come to a close, but showing you how that they had done this and how the apostles had been involved with it. Here's a list of some of the apostles and some of the places in which they went. It says, Andrew is said to have labored in Scythia, hence the Russians worship him as their apostle. Philip went, spent his last years in Herlapus in Pergia, and Bartholomew is said to have brought the gospel according to Matthew to India. The tradition concerning Matthew is rather confused, and he, he is said to have preached to his own people and afterward in four lands. James Alpheus is said to have worked in Egypt. Thaddeus is said to have been the missionary to Persia. Simon Zealots is said to have worked in Egypt and in Britain, and while another report connected him with the Persian and Babylonian. And the evangelist John Mark is said to have founded the church in Alexandria. So there you find that these men had fulfilled what Jesus said must be done, that the gospel must be taken to the whole known world at that time. What's the lesson for us? I think there are several lessons in this about this destruction of Jerusalem 
that's important for us to look at for ourselves. One is, of course, the destruction of Jerusalem has taken place. But the second thing that Jesus talked about was his second coming. And the thing about the destruction of Jerusalem, it points out that these, it was known what was going to happen. Things are not said much about the second coming of Jesus in this particular instance because it is not the thing that he wanted them to understand. But the signs were there. And they were things in which they must do. The destruction of Jerusalem is, to me, a a thing that we can apply to ourselves. You know, the Lord has told us that we need to be prepared. The destruction of Jerusalem, of course, was the destruction of the temple. What's God's temple today? We are. We're God's temple. In 1 Corinthians, we are told that our bodies are the temple of God, the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's going to be attacked. You can rest assured of that. Persecution will come our way, one way or another. Maybe not in the particular death of a lot of these people had were to encounter. But persecution is going to come our way if we're going to be Christians. We need to be forewarned. We need to be prepared. That's why Peter says that if you are a Christian, you will be persecuted. That's why we're told to put on the whole armor of God. The fight that we have is a forward fight. It's not something to end. Don't turn your back on it. And you'll find out that the whole armor of God that we are told to put on from Ephesians is all on the front. It's meaning going forward, you're fighting. Don't turn your back on it or you've got a problem. You will be gotten by the devil. So the lessons are there for us to be gotten. And we certainly can learn from the destruction of Jerusalem how God dealt with the Jews and how God will deal with mankind still even today. It's a great lesson. And I appreciate very much the opportunity to have come here and to have spoken to you about this. I hope that it has helped you, it has informed you, can help you in your Christian life.